I have titled the sermon, What Do You See? Because I am convinced that the majority of our difficulties in life stem from a lack of perspective. You know, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, we find three men who see the same man, but only one of them really sees him. Now, I'm going to try something with you because I want the participation of the children here and the participation of the teens. You're going to see a series. Oh, not on that screen. You're going to see a series of pictures on this screen. And I want you to tell me what you see. Okay, so let's see the first one right here. Let's see the first one right there. What do you see in this picture? Who can tell me? Okay, all right. A, a duck. Yeah, there's a duck. And then there is what else? A bunny, yeah, we see a bunny and a duck, depending on how you see it. Let's see the next one. What about here? What do we see? What is it? Okay, we see like a, a aliens. I don't know how you're seeing that. There are no aliens there, okay? <laughs> we see a vase, a cup, yeah, and what else? Two Forest. Well, that's the screen, okay? That's the background. We should have put like a white background. But there's faces. If you really focus on the contours of the vase, there's two faces, okay, hidden right there. Do you see them? Okay. Maybe we'll put the white screen and then you can see them better. Next one. Right here, what do you see? Two old people. Yeah, what else do you see in the old people? They're younger parts. Yes, indeed. There's a younger woman and the younger man singing right there, reminiscing old days. What a beautiful picture. What else do we see in the next one? Let's see the next picture, please. Okay, and what about there? A lady. Yes, there is a lady, but what kind of lady? A young lady and an old lady. To this day, I am not able to see the old lady. I know she's there. Because I know the eye and the nose, but I cannot see her somehow. They tell me she is there, but I fail. I fail every time. I cannot see her, which proves my point. I know, I know. This is like, like class right now. <laughs> and, you know, this proves my point. Sometimes we get so fixated on one side that we fail to see the whole picture. We fail to see really for what it is. Now let's go back to the parable of the Good Samaritan because here we find three different people seeing someone and yet not really seeing the man for who he is. And now, of course, before we judge the first one, let us put ourselves in the shoes of the priest. Because, I mean, poor guy, maybe, you know, he had a long week at the temple and he couldn't just afford one more person to help one more person. He probably was exhausted. Or maybe he was running late to service and he couldn't be detained by a stranger. Or perhaps this priest was so concerned about his purity and not being contaminated by this deadly man, that dead, half-dead man, because after all, if he touched blood, he would have to be on a ritual of cleansing for seven days and he would not be able to minister to all the other people. So let's give him some credit. It wasn't his fault. After all, he was just following the law. Poor guy. The second man, the Levite, reacted in a similar way. He saw the man and chose not to help him. He probably had good reasons too. After all, he was a worshiper, supposed to lead people in the worship of God. And maybe he didn't want to risk his own safety and purity for the sake of a stranger. Or maybe he had a conversation in his mind. Oh, it's a trap. This guy is faking it. He's not hurt. 
He's pretending so that when I go to help him, there's four other guys hiding behind the bushes and they're going to attack me. And he had this whole conversation in his mind and said, forget him. I'm out of here. For, but for whatever reason, he chose not to help this man. Then we encounter the Samaritan. As he was traveling along, he came and uh, he took pity on him. He got off his donkey, put the dead man, in, the half-dead man on the donkey and traveled with him all the way to the end, paid for all the expenses without even knowing who that guy was. And Jesus comes to, to, uh, to us and tells us, this is whom you ought to be like. Now, it's interesting that Jesus would select a Samaritan to tell us who we ought to be like. Because Samaritans hardly ever traveled to Jerusalem. The Samaritans did not get along with the Jews. In fact, when, the, when Jesus was visiting Samaria and uh, he was on his way to Jerusalem... When the Samaritans heard that he was on his way to Jerusalem, he wasn't welcomed there. They said, no, 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 you're on the wrong path. So it's interesting that, God, that Jesus would select a Samaritan to tell us whom we ought to be like. We ought to be like the one who sees past a history of hurts. We ought to be like the one who sees beyond social and cultural barriers. We ought to be like the one who gets off the donkey and let the half-dead, beat-up people get on it so that they can be brought to the end of restoration. This is whom we ought to be like. Now, we live in a society where it is far too easy to be like the priest or the Levite and see the other as a threat, as an inconvenience, an intrusion, a burden, perhaps even a possible hindrance. To our lives. And there are two culprits, really, behind this tragic loss of sight. First, our culture has contributed to creating a mindset of insufficiency in us. And this mindset of insufficiency has slowly been taking us captive and leading us down the path of disengagement. And just like the priest, we are too consumed with our own needs as to be able to see the needs of a hurting world. And this mentality has affected really all of us to some degree because it's almost like if we lived in an island called never enough. I am never enough. I don't have enough. I don't have enough time, friends, or money. I don't make enough. I am nothing enough or tall enough or strong enough. I'm never smart enough. It's never good enough or perfect enough. And this mentality that the culture has created in each one of us really it's, it's creating this desperation for us to meet the longings of our souls in other ways. And so now we are working longer hours and we are getting away more frequently. Or we are simply hiding behind a screen for one more like on Facebook or one more click. And meanwhile, there are people half dead everywhere. They're all over Kankakee County, but we sure see them but unconsciously ignore them because we're walking down the path of disengagement because of a mindset of insufficiency that has gripped us. The second culprit behind our loss of sight is a spirit of self-preservation that has been permeating the social fabric of our nation and paralyzing us from fulfilling our mission. And just like the Levite, we are too afraid to reach out to the stranger because we don't know what they might do to us. Or we don't know what they could potentially do and say. They might even compromise our convictions. And thousands of people all around us are hungry for a gaze of love. 
They're hungry for a touch of compassion, a sign of hope. But this fear of the other has blinded us to see, to be able to see with his eyes of redemption. And we have isolated ourselves from those who need the hope we claim to have in Jesus Christ. And this is no fault of our own. For we have all experienced tragic events that have left us vulnerable to this error. If you think about it, just over the past decade, we as a nation have all witnessed multiple wars, a recession, natural disasters, random violence and school shootings, new patterns of immigration, social disintegration, rapid technological advancements, and deadly illnesses. All these changes have produced in us a sense of fear and uncertainty, leaving us angry and scared forcing us to travel down the road of isolation. And as we keep walking down the road of disengagement and the road of isolation, the world keeps wondering, where are the Samaritans? And we say we love Jesus, but we only love Jesus as much as we love the other in our midst, which includes the stranger, the broken, the hurting, the undocumented immigrant, the addict, the sexually confused, the rich, the poor, the white, the African-American, the Hispanic, the Muslims, the New Age fanatics, the Baptists. Yes, even the Baptists. Okay? Even the Baptists who don't believe in women preachers. Even they. Okay? Those who curse you, those who persecute you, those who say all kinds of evil because of Jesus. It includes every single person for whom Jesus died. Oh, friends, Jesus is calling us to the Samaritan life, which means turning our gaze to the least of these. But if we are to truly live the Samaritan life, we must get off our donkey and allow the beat up, half-dead ones on the road of desperation to get on it so they can be brought to the end of restoration. Now, the younger generations in our midst are all about acceptance. We got to accept every single person. And the older generations in our midst are all about righteousness. And both of them are right. But both of them are incomplete. Because the departing point is neither social acceptance, neither is it self-righteousness. It is an awareness that we too are broken that we too are needy of his grace. That we are, like Paul said, oh wretched man that I am. Oh wretched person that I am. Me. Me. Who will save me? Who will deliver me, he says, out of this body of decay? Thanks be to God. He delivers me through Jesus Christ. It's not until we get to that point where we recognize that we are also in need of his touch. We are in need of his saving grace. That then, and when we get there, that is the path that leads us to his righteousness. That is the path that leads us to his acceptance. And that is the way by which we can then accept the other. See them with his eyes of mercy. See them with his eyes of love. See them beyond any other social, cultural, economic barrier. And approach them with the eyes of compassion that are in him for each one of us. Now, after finishing seminary in Kentucky, Andrew and I were pastoring a church, and, uh, uh, you know, I love to study. 
And uh, I, I promise this is, after this PhD, I am done. I'm not studying no more <laughs> from here now. But after seminary, I uh, went and I studied to get my certification in medical interpretation. And I've always want, loved to interpret uh, for the Hispanic community and uh, in Spanish and English. And so I, I went and I decided to work part-time in the hospital systems. And I went, uh, uh, I, got my, my, I got certified in medical interpretation. I went and worked with uh, uh, hundreds of patients who every day would come and, and seek of, of medical attention. And one time I got to work with a Mexican man and, uh, for quite some time. He had, been, had had a very tragic accident and had been paralyzed from waist down, couldn't walk. He had had to have a tracheotomy and many other uh, situations with him. So I got to, to be with him for several months and see his progress. And soon uh, when he began to be able to talk, he uh, recognized that I was really an undercover pastor there in that place. And we had great opportunities for, uh, to talk really about God. But as uh, one time I, I remember waiting in a, in a physical, uh, uh, waiting for his physical therapist to arrive. And I got to meet so many different people. And one time I remember seeing this super tall man. He was probably 6'7 or taller. When you're 5'1, everything is like massively huge. But he was like 6'7. And, uh, and he, uh, he, boy, he looked scary, okay? He had like this long beard. He had motorcycle gear on, tattoos all over his body. And uh, I looked at him and I, I was like, oh, you know, he started cussing out loud with his thick eastern Kentucky accent. Oh, boy. I'm like, man, I'm in trouble. And I remember thinking to myself, what in the world could I possibly have in common with that man? And as I'm thinking that, he sits right next to me. And he sits right next to me, and I, well, we started talking. You know how small talk goes. First, you talk about the weather, right, and everything is the weather, the weather these days. Then the natural next thing is food. So we talk about food. And we talked about food, and I could agree with him. The southern food is the best food in America. I love southern food, except for grits. I don't like grits. But I love everything else. Cracker Barrel, the best. I love it. And so as we are talking and talking, he begins to open up, and he begins to share why he is there. And as he began to share, I, uh, my, my blinders were lifted, and I could see a broken man that was hiding behind those walls of anger. And then my eyes ooh, were unblinded, and I saw, oh, my, we have more in common than I thought. We both need God's saving grace. We both need God's saving touch every single day. doesn't matter how far you've walked. It doesn't matter how good you look. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor. It doesn't matter if you're a minister. It doesn't matter if you're a priest or a Levite. You need his saving grace every single day. And when you approach him and you're so immersed by the beauty of the king and you're consumed by his beauty, then you begin to see the way he sees. You begin to see people the way he sees them. And let me begin to tell you that I know, I'm not, I, I know the hurts are too many. I know the barriers are too many. But as you begin to be so consumed in his love, he begins to do a transformation in your heart and allows you to see past those hurts, past the history of mistakes. You know, it's uh, what Paul Heber said, one of my favorite Christian anthropologists. He says, at the deepest level of our identity as humans, there are no others. There's only us. On the surface, we're males and females, blacks and whites, rich and poor. But beneath this... We are one humanity. Prior to the descent of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Day, only the males were counted in the scriptures. But after the Holy Spirit comes with his power upon the church, now both males and females are counted in the scriptures. 
And that is because the Holy Spirit is the great equalizer. He equalizes all of us to see the way he sees. We're all the same in his eyes. He lifts up the broken. He lifts up the voiceless. He gives them his voice. He gives them his power so that they can lift up the broken. They can lift up the voiceless. They can lift up the hurting in this world. He is the great equalizer. Now let me tell you something. The church of the Nazarene began in 1908 because it wanted to be set apart. It wanted to be a holiness people. Established solely for the purpose of making disciples of all the nations. Our founder, Phineas Brzee, had a dream for the church of the Nazarene. He said, it has been my long cherished desire to have a place in the heart of the city, which could be made a center of holy fire, where the gospel could be preached to the poor. It was the intention from the very beginning of our denomination for us to walk on the path of holiness, more than that, for us to walk on the path of missional holiness. Over the course of our years as a denomination, we have sought to clarify what it means to be holy. And although at first we began to conceive holiness in terms primarily as a set of behaviors ratified in an article of faith outlining doctrinal beliefs, the truth is that holiness is more than good behaviors and right beliefs. Holiness is a disposition of your heart to consecrate your life. It's a dispossession of the self to get off the donkey and hurt and, and help somebody else. So in other words, holiness really at its foundation, at its most basic level, it means to be set apart. But it means to be set apart for his purposes. Not being distant, disengaged, isolated, or withdrawn from society. Holiness means to be set apart for God so he can transform us, empower us with his life-giving spirit so we can transform the world around us. Holiness is not running away from the sinner. It's running away from sin. I'm going to say that again. Holiness is running away from sin, not running away from the sinner. Holiness is a life of the interior, which then enables us to live an empowered life from the inside out. It is a path that leads you every day to seek his mercy, to seek his face, so that he can satisfy the longings of your heart and declare that you are enough, so that you can now minister to the least of these. Once again, Phineas Brzee offers us some words of wisdom when he remarked in 1903, Jesus Christ baptizes with the Holy Ghost. Cleansing, filling, empowering. And when he comes, he convinces of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And the conflict with the powers of darkness is brought on to the glory of the conquering king. The result is that people live mostly in the Pentecostal glory. In the Pentecostal glory. And souls are continually added to the company of the redeemed. This is our heritage. This is our legacy. This is who we are as Nazarenes. Missional holiness. This is the less traveled road that Jesus Christ wants to recreate once again in our midst. So how do we know if we are indeed traveling into this path of missional holiness? 
Well, let me briefly share with you two signs, signs that we see in the life of the Good Samaritan himself. The first sign is having the capacity to see beyond what is in the physical realm. It's to see with eyes of redemption instead of eyes of judgment. Here we find the Samaritan having the right disposition of heart because he sees the man and takes pity on him. In fact, the Greek word here for pity on him is the Greek word splachnisomai, which literally means to be moved in your stomach. You're so deeply moved that you now have to do something about it. It's not just like, oh, poor guy, I wish you well. I'll pray for you tomorrow if I remember. No, it's a poor person. This person needs the transforming power of the Spirit upon him, just like he transformed mine. It is a, a movement. It is a movement that grips you, and that now you have to act on it. In the, in the 1600s, uh, a Jesuit Spanish missionary by the name of Peter Claver, he was a missionary to the slaves in Colombia and burned out his short life to alleviate both the physical pain and spiritual pain of those who were in his care. One night, Peter recruited a couple of volunteers to help minister to a dying man whose flesh was rotting away from his ears and chains. When he men saw the oozing flesh, all these volunteers that came to help that man saw the oozing flesh and smelled the putrid odor stemming from his skin. Oh, they ran away panic-stricken from that room. But Peter, seeing the man, ran up to him, fell on his knees and cried, You cannot leave him. You must not leave him. It is Christ. It is Christ. Do you see Jesus in the people sitting next to you? Do you see Jesus? In your husband, in your wife, in your children, in the stranger, in the homeless people that walk in the store, in the immigrants that are among our midst in the Hispanic ministry. Do you see Jesus in them? The second sign of a mission of holiness is not just seeing them with the eyes of redemption, but it's truly caring for the things Christ cares about. We see how a disposition of the heart is followed by a dispossession of the things that we have been given for the sake of the least of these. The Samaritan gets off the donkey and lets the hurting man get on it while he walks on foot. Friends, it is what we do for the least of these that will allow Jesus to say, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. It is whatever we do for the least of these that truly matters. Sometimes you might feel inadequate, like you don't know what you would say or do in some cases because <laughs> the differences are so many. It's okay. Just ask God to help you see the person the way he sees them. One way to begin really is by, you know, when you don't agree with somebody or, you know, someone has hurt you or maybe there's somebody else who challenges every conviction you have. The, be the, be the best way to begin is, is just to simply look at that person and say, that person, that man, that woman, perfect in Christ Jesus. 
perfect in Christ Jesus. What do you see when you look at others? I see glimpses of his glory all over this church. When I see Joy and Maurice inviting the Hispanic ministry over to their house for a cookout, I see glimpses of his glory. When I see how Vivian and Jim and Rhonda and Kim and so many others are playing games every Wednesday and Friday evening with the homeless people that come to us, I see glimpses of his glory. When I see Tom so committed to the unification of the whole church with a big C and would give up every evening if we could to pray with the different churches around our county, I see glimpses of his glory. When I see people engage in the school partnership with Bradley West, I see glimpses of his glory. When I see the army that God is raising up in our midst to be the extension of his healing touch and grace to the emotionally broken, I see glimpses of his glory. And when I see you, Pastor Andrew, every single week, writing your sermons, despite the weakness in your arm, practicing over and over and over and over again, <laughs> out of your love for God and out of your love for his people, I don't see glimpses of his glory. I see his glory. <laughs> I see his glory. Sometimes we want his glory to come in a powerful holy fire. His glory is all over this place. It's in the smallest little things when he unblinds us to see the other person sitting right next to us the way he sees us. What do you see, church? We are the body of Christ. We are the city on a hill. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. We are the Samaritans this world is waiting for. We are it. We are it. But we need him. We need his empowerment. We need his spirit. We need him to declare that we are enough so we can go and fulfill our mission. We need him to remind us of who we are in him so we can have the power to fulfill the reason and the purpose for which we were created. And he wants to do more. We have just begun to see glimpses of his glory in this place. So who's up for the challenge? Who's up for the challenge of getting off the donkey and letting the half-dead people all over around this county to get on it and be brought to the end of restoration? Who is up for the, for the challenge? Do you know the starting point? The starting point is not... By my power or by my strength, it's by his spirit. That is the starting point. We need equipping. We need his presence. We need a fresh infilling. We need a transformative holy fire that will impregnate every single one of our lives that will give us the power to then fulfill our mission. So if you're up for the challenge, I just want you to stand. I'm going to have you stand if you're up for the challenge. You say, yes, I want to walk on the path of mission of holiness. I need his empowerment. I need his eyes of love. I need his sufficiency. I need his saving grace. I need his sanctifying power. I need him. I need him. I want him. He is the living bread. He is the river that flows within us. He is everything in this place. We need you, Lord. We need you in this place, oh God. So as Don plays, and he's going to play some background music, I just want you to take a, a step of faith. I'm going to pray. Don plays. I will pray. The Holy Spirit will do the rest. Mm. I just want you to, to come forward. I don't want you to kneel at the altars. 
I just want you to stand right here in this, in this place. I just want you to come and stand and say, Lord, I need your empowerment. I need you to give me your eyes of mercy, your eyes of grace, your eyes of redemption, your eyes of love, so I can be more like you. Huh. So I can be declared that I am enough and I don't have to run to other things to satisfy the deep longings of my heart. But that in you, you are enough. You are enough, Lord Jesus. That is you. I'm going to ask you to come and stand. If there's no more room here, standing in the front, stand in the aisles. But stand, take a different position. And as I pray, I will invite the Holy Spirit to come. I will invite the Holy Spirit to, to come and touch us and renew us. And as you come forward, just place your hand on the person next to you. Because as the Holy Spirit comes, he'll flow through you. He wants to use you. He could have used the rocks. He could have chosen the winds, the angels, but he wants to use it, you. He wants to transform you. He wants to, you to be a channel of his grace. He wants to open up your heart and give you all there is from his very own table. Oh, Father, you see us, Lord. You see us right here, God. We wait upon you, Lord. Open up our hearts. Open up our eyes. Open up, oh God. Open up, Lord. Open up every, every area of our lives. That as we come before you, Lord, we may be satisfied. We may be declared that we are enough. So that we, Lord, oh, we, Lord, can come before you, Lord, fresh. Oh, Lord Jesus, come and touch us. Come and bless us. Come and do a mighty work in each one of us, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, hear the cry of your people, Lord. Hear the cry of Kinkakee First Church, Lord. Wanting you to do it again, oh God. Wanting you, Lord Jesus, to break in, oh God. Wanting you, Father God, to touch us afresh. To come with your mercy and your grace. To come with your healing and your sanctifying power. To come, Lord, as we consecrate our lives. To allow you to move, oh God. Come, oh Lord. Come, oh Lord. Prepare us to be the Samaritans, Lord. Prepare us, oh God, to see beyond, Lord, the cultural and social economic differences. Give us your eyes, Lord. Give us your eyes to rescue, Lord. Give us your eyes to care, Lord. Give us your eyes to love on people, Lord. Oh, Lord Jesus, only you can equip us for that task, Lord. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot do it on our own, oh God. Here we are, Lord Jesus. Here we are. Your people are ready for more. Your people are ready for more. Come and touch us afresh, oh God. Touch us afresh, oh Lord. Touch us afresh, oh Lord. Father, minister now, Lord. Minister your touch upon your people. Minister, Lord, as we sing this praise, as we sing this song, Lord, of worship before you, Lord, may your name be lifted high. May your name be glorified. May you come and do the work that only you can as we worship your name today. In Jesus' name.